to the book of Exodus, and uh, it was a wonderful opportunity last week to hear Pastor Jim and uh, presenting his walk through the Old Testament. Wasn't that awesome? Did an excellent job. We're so appreciative of that and uh, the work they put into doing that and helping us understand that even more. Well, the Passover is finished. The redemption of the firstborn and its significance was taught and learned. God wanted them to remember over and over throughout the book of Exodus. He says in Exodus chapter 13, verse 3, Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day when you came out of Egypt. Verse 5, he says, When the Lord brings you into the land of Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, which He swore to your fathers, that He would give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you must carry out this ritual this month. Over and over, He wants them to remember everything that He says. Down verse 8, down verse 12, down verse 14. The idea of remembering all that God was doing, all that He had done. He wanted them to remember that. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was instituted, observed, completed, And now it's time to cross over. As the children of Israel prepare to leave Egypt, keep a few interesting thoughts in the back of your mind. God does not always choose an easy path for His children. Let me say that again. God does not always choose an easy path for His children to walk on. In fact, in Hebrews chapter, or Exodus chapter 13, verses 7 and 8, He says this, Unleavened bread is to be eaten for seven days. Nothing leavened may be found among you, and no yeast may be found among you in all your territory. On that day, explain to your son, this is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. It was a reminder that God is choosing a path for them, that He knows where it's going to go. And everything is coming to fruition. Everything that He said Down verses 17 and 18, he says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said the people would change their minds and return to Egypt if they faced war. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea, along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. He does not always choose an easy path. He did not choose the road that led to the Philistines, even though it was closer. Have you ever wondered? One might have thought, after all this time, why would God not choose the easiest and quickest road to get His children out of Egypt? Have you ever wondered why He did not do that? Here's what God says. The people will change their minds. And the people will turn back. Our nature is to want the easy road, is it not? We pray for a life of ease. We pray that things will go well. We pray that we will never get sick. We pray that our car never breaks down every time we go on a trip. We pray for a life of ease. And we we resist a path that is not easy. We don't like difficulties and trials. And our tendency is to take that path of least resistance. And avoid trouble at any cost. But let me remind you something. This is maybe an encouragement in some kind of way. Acts chapter 9, verse 16, referring to the life of Saul. He said, I will show him how he must suffer for my name's sake. But here's the awesome thing. That when we go through that suffering, we go through those difficult times, it's just proof that God is with us. And He's there giving us strength, giving us wisdom, giving us direction through everything that comes our way. You have to know that life is going to knock you down regardless of your efforts to stay standing. Think about it. The disciples, 
go to the other side. And as they're out in the middle doing what God told them to do, being obedient, the storm comes. Just because you are doing what God asks you to do, just because you're going the direction that God wants you to go, does not mean you're not going to face resistance. It does not mean that life is going to be easy just because you're following God. We have to remember that life is going to be difficult at times. But you have to also remember that during those difficulties, God is there. Was he not there with the disciples as they were out in the boat? And the wind begins to toss, or the waves begin to toss and throw them about. And who comes walking on the water? We're never alone. And this is what the children of Israel are beginning to understand. And here's what we have to remember two thoughts. God was with them, leading them the entire time. God was with them every step of the way in the journey. How awesome would it be today if God visibly gave us a sign of His presence and led us every direction He wanted us to go? He did that for the children of Israel. Think about it. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21 says, The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Can you imagine that? But here's the thing. God tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. He may have done that for the children of Israel. It doesn't necessarily mean He's going to do it for you. But we always have His presence with us, right? Let's remember that. So this morning as we continue in our message here, let's read together or follow along as I read chapter 14, verses 1 and following. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pihiroth, between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Baal Zephon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say to the Israelites, They are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariots ready and took his troops with him. And he, get, get this, verse 7. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and pursued the Israelites who were going out triumphantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by this sea beside Pihiroth in front of Baal Zephon. <coughs> as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Then the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. <coughs> but Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come before you for just a moment, 
We ask, God, that you would teach us from this story what you want us to learn. And I ask, God, that you would remind us of truths that we may have once known and forgotten. And Lord, for those of us who need a fresh understanding of the story, might you give it to us. That we may apply it to our hearts and our lives. That we may see that you are a God at work in everyday lives. That we may see that you're a God that is so much more powerful than we could ever imagine. That you're a God that loves and cares for his people. And I pray, God, that you might, Lord, just for a few moments, allow us to concentrate on your word. Lord, help us to set aside some of the cares and the concerns, some of the things that we may be taking place after the service. Lord, I pray that you would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed this morning, and conviction where conviction is needed. And I pray your spirit will work in our hearts this day. We carefully give you the praise and the glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here's what he wants us to remember, as I already said. Number one, God was with them, leading them the entire way. You know, I have to remember in our own lives that God is always with us as well. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's an amazing thing that in our times of difficulty, in times of uh, trials, it seems like we wonder at times, where is God? Well, we learned last week in men's Bible study, because of His omnipresence, God is everywhere. And the bottom line is, it's not God who distanced Himself from us, it's us who distanced ourselves from God. And He's reminded the children of Israel over and over and over throughout the entire Old Testament that when you seek Me, I will be found. But if you don't seek Me, guess what? You won't find Me. The bottom line, the responsibility that we have before God in a relationship with Him is that we are to seek Him. We are to depend on Him. We are to go to Him in our times of difficulty. But not only in difficulty, also when things are going well, to thank Him and appreciate Him and to love Him for all that He does do for us. A relationship is based on communication. We're talking to God and God talking to us through His Word. And the bottom line is our, our responsibility is to develop that relationship and to grow with Him. It's not God that moves, it's us. Oftentimes we find that sin separates us from the heart of God. When we're living in sin, it's not our desire to draw close to Him. When we're living in selfishness, our desire is not to draw close to Him. When we are living for self, we don't want to be around Him. Because life is not about us. And when we make it about us, God's not there. We need to be reminded of that. God is there with them. And number two, God had a plan. And we see this in the first four verses. That God had a very clear plan that they were to follow. It says here once again, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of the Pihiroth between Migdal and the sea. And uh, you must camp in front of Baal Zephon, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say to the Israelites, Say to the Israelites, They are wandering around the land in confusion. The wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. So the Israelites did this. And the plan was very simply this. Even though they didn't understand it, they were to do it. And the the simple plan was this. We want you to turn back. Oh, wait a minute. Pharaoh's already released us. We're on our way out and we're not supposed to go back. Wait, wait, turn back? See, God knows exactly what He's doing. And there's a plan here that even though you can't always see it, God knows exactly what He's doing. And there are so many times in our life, God says, I want you to go this way. And we're saying, God, that doesn't make sense. Well, I want you to take this job. Well, God, that doesn't pay as much. Well, God, I, I want you to do that. Well, God, God knows exactly what He's doing. And when are we going to learn that, that even though we may not see it, it doesn't matter about what we can see. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. God knew exactly what He was doing in these situations. So the plan is this. 
I want you to turn back. Well, why do I want to turn back? Because Pharaoh and his guys are going to be watching you, and when you turn back, they're going to think you're confused. They're going to think that you've been in Egypt for so long that you don't know your way out. They're going to think that as you're going out, you're getting lost and you're confused, and now when you turn back, you obviously don't know what you're doing. So they did exactly as God told them to do. They started to march out, and then they turned back. Are you crazy? Because sometimes God does things in an unorthodox manner. Sometimes God does things differently than what you and I would do them. So he turns back. And the plan worked marvelously. Look at verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, What have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready and took his troops with him and so forth. Yeah, the plan worked perfectly. Exactly as God had said. Pharaoh thought they were lost. Pharaoh thought they were confused. And Pharaoh changed his mind and sends them all out to recapture the workforce of Egypt. But here's the amazing thing. When you first look at the story, you kind of think to yourself, 600 horsemen, chariots, and then the other, all the other chariots. And he makes a very specific point here. 600 of the best chariots. And an officer in each one of them. Now think about what's going to happen a little bit later in the story. The leadership of Egypt is going to go in the Red Sea. God knew exactly what he was doing. And over and over, what's he say? Over and over. And they will know that I am God. They will know that I am Yahweh by what He does. And you see this in verses 6 through 9. So He got His chariot ready and took His troops with Him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and pursued the Israelites who were going out triumphantly. The Egyptian, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen, and his army chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Pahiroth in front of Baal-Zaphon. So they did exactly what God said. They camped exactly where God said to camp. The armies of Egypt come after him. It says the 600 of the best chariots and all the other chariots, all the officers in each one of them, and his armies. In, in, In reality, the entire defense of Egypt was chasing after the children of Israel until they caught up with them. Now, what happens at this point? So how did the children of Israel respond to the great news that Pharaoh had changed his mind and was coming after them? I bet they were just living in the excitement and the thrill of it all. Come on, Pharaoh, come catch us if you can! Right? No. First they responded in fear and they cried out to the Lord for help. We see that in verse 10. Verse 10 says this, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Then the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. Can you blame them? Can you imagine in your mind's eye, you're all the way over here and you're camped out and you're kind of bunking down for the night, and all of a sudden you look off in the distance and all you see the clouds of dust and everything coming and the armies coming after you. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, they were terrified. They were terrified. 
next, they began to gripe and complain. Look at verse 11. So it went from fear to griping and complaining. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Now they're like terrified. And now you've done this to us. And I say once again, how would like to be the leader of the children of Israel? I mean, come on, leadership is everything, right? You always enjoy being the big guy, the top dog, right? He's there. And all the children of Israel are upset with him. What have you done to us? Did you just take us out because there's no graves in Egypt? I mean, after all, we were there. At least we were there. Then they began to forget the past. Look at verse 12. Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Think about this just for a moment. Remember way back in Exodus, in the beginning? I've heard your cries by reason of your taskmasters. I know how they beat you. I know how they whipped you. I, I know how they abused you in every way, shape, and form. And now they're saying it would have been better. Really? Are you crazy? It really would have been better back in Egypt? Did you forget about the slavery? Did you forget about making bricks in the hot sun? Did you enjoy living in fear that your babies might be thrown into the river, into the river to die? <coughs> would it really have been better? No. But see, one thing that we learn in life, Adversity reveals character. When you're going through the difficult time, what is your response? When the trials come, what is your response to the trials? When life really gets tough, when there's seemingly nowhere to turn, when there's seemingly no right answer, how did Moses respond to the people? Realizing that adversity reveals character. Verse 13 says, Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation He will provide for you today. Think about this. He said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Boy, that sounds great on paper, Moses. I mean, I get what you're saying, but that really sounds good on paper. Don't be afraid, really? Do you see what we're seeing? Don't be afraid. He says, stand firm. Stand firm. If God be for us, who can be against us? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Over and over, Moses is trying to remind them to stand firm. And then he said, number three. First of all, don't be afraid. Number two, stand firm. Number three, see the Lord's salvation. He will provide for you today. Today. He's trying to remind them that God is still with them. That God is still in control. That God still knows exactly what He's doing in this great and marvelous plan that He's laid out before the children of Israel. I love what He says here. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And then what's he say? You must be quiet. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. 
want you to think about that just for a moment. Just be quiet. There's a word that you read of oftentimes as you read through the Psalms, and it's a little simple word called sila. And sila means just to stop and meditate on it. Think about it. And he's telling them just to settle down. You know, there's some people in our midst that when something happens, they're hair on fire type people. They panic, they freak out, they scream, yell, they get on the phone, tell everybody they can possibly tell. And that's the exact, exact opposite of what Moses is trying to infer to the children of Israel. So I just want you to just, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Just stand firm. See the Lord's salvation He's going to provide for you today. I still think that's a good way to respond to everything that happens in our lives. How do you respond to those difficult situations? Fear? Yeah. Kind of a natural tendency at times to be afraid when difficult times come. Sometimes we have a tendency to run from it or pretend it's not there, which solves nothing. Sometimes we gripe and complain as did the children of Israel. Or we can embrace it with God's help. And that's what Moses was trying to teach the children of Israel, to embrace it. Stand firm. You're going to see God at work today. And the army that you see coming after you, you're never going to see them again. How did he know that? I just kind of have this little thought that maybe Moses and God were tight at the moment. I mean, they were with each other, talking to each other, and Moses was probably still afraid. Knew what God told him to do. Can I just say that when we're facing those situations in life, God knows. He knows before you do. He knows how you're going to handle it and how you should handle it. Remind us, 2 Corinthians 5 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. If we go by what we saw, we'd be like the children of Israel. I see the cloud, I see the chariot, I hear the chariots and the rumble, and the earth is vibrating from them coming after us. Matthew 19, 26. With men this is impossible. With God nothing is impossible. Stand firm. So what did God do? Well, we see the answer to that in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? See, he had fear. But he still did what God told him to do. He said, Tell the Israelites to break camp. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Wait, wait a minute. This is something that's never happened before. What do you, what do you, what do you mean? Moses, do you see what we see? There's, there's water in front of us. There's an army coming behind us. And you want us to do what? You see, sometimes what God asks us to do doesn't make sense. And that's okay. It doesn't have to make sense in our finite minds. Because we serve an infinite God who is marvelously more smart than all of us. He has a plan. Remember that. And our job is to obey the plan. So what did God do? Have the children of Israel break camp. And then he says in verse 16 and 21 and 22. Verse 16. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry land. Look down verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind. 
all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Can you imagine? Can you imagine just for a moment? Think in your mind's eye. You're walking through this. And remember, this is not like 30, 40 people, 100 people, 200 people. Hundreds of thousands of Israelites on a highway going through the, through the sea. Looking up on both sides. Can you imagine? It's like, Whoa, that's a shark trying to bite my hand. Can you imagine how great God is? And how awesome He is? To divide the sea and for the children of Israel to not only be a part of this great miracle, but to observe everything that they're observing. Because that's the great God that we serve. He walks through and they start moving forward. He says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And the Egyptians will once again know that I am God. And here's the amazing thing. God caused the darkness to come over them. The pillar of cloud separates the children of Israel from the armies of Egypt. And they're in darkness so that the one doesn't see the other. Look at the story here. This is awesome. So verse 17. I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. It came between the Egyptian and the Israelite forces. The cloud was there in the darkness, yet it lit up the, the, the night. So neither group came near the other all night long. I mean, this is, a, this is, this is not a 15-minute crossing. This probably went on for hours as they were ushering the children across. And it, verse 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back with a powerful east wind. So that night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, and the waters like a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians set out in pursuit, all Pharaoh's forces, his chariots and his horsemen, and went into the sea after them. Then during the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian forces from the pillar of fire and cloud and threw them into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said, because Yahweh is fighting for them against against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. While the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The waters came back and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. None of them survived. Remember that statement back in verse 14? The Egyptians you see today, you will never see them again. God fulfilled His promise. And God destroys the entire army. So, 
can we learn from the story? Well, first of all, I'm not sure what goes through your mind when you hear a story like this, but one thing, however, is certain. God is so much more powerful than you can imagine. Remember we said way back in the beginning of this series, just for a few moments, we said, is the Bible true? Yes, it is. Is it entirely true? 100% true? Yes, it is. Because if any one part of it's not true, what part of it can we not believe? If any one part of it is not true, who gets to decide which one part is not true? Or two parts or three parts? Either we accept it as truth and true by faith, or we don't. So if we accept it as truth, and we do, we have to believe that God is powerful. To be able to know throughout this entire story, through the plagues and hardening Pharaoh's heart and making sure that every one of the plagues are an affront to the gods of Egypt so that they might truly know who God is and what God is all about. It's all true. And he reveals his own character and his power through everything that he does that they might know that I am God, he says. And when he's done, he destroys Egypt. All the finest chariots and horsemen the armies of Egypt, the officers, essentially all the leadership of Egypt's armies, gone, wiped out forever. Not one of them survives, God's word says. One thing that we can learn from this story is that God is so much more powerful than you can imagine. Secondly, God knows the outcome of everything we will face, and He is in control. He knows the outcome, even when we don't question is, will we trust Him? Will we trust Him? So when things get difficult in our lives in the year 2015, maybe different surroundings, different circumstances, different culture, same God who understands everything that we're facing. God didn't wake up this morning and scratch His head and say, well, I didn't realize that was going to happen today in your family. He's a God who knows everything. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't wake up in the morning and say, Wow, I didn't know he was going to have a flat tire and make you late for work. Wow, what am I going to do? Oh, he didn't wake up this morning and say, Wow, I didn't realize that person was going to get cancer. Wow, how, how am I going to handle this? He didn't wake up this morning and say, Well, I didn't know, realize it was going to snow. And, you know, and God knows everything. And if he does, we need to trust him. Because what he knows, he'll help us through. Number three, trials and difficulties are opportunities to test our faith and see God at work. You see, I can go to the face of the Red Sea and see the cloud of the army coming behind me, and I can panic. Or I can say, God, <laughs> I'm yours. Today might be my last day, but that's okay, because for me to live is Christ and to die is... See, that's different than what we think in our life, isn't it? I can face the Red Sea and say, God, are you in control or not? I know you said go, but what does that mean? It means go. It means, as Moses said, stand firm. Be quiet. Just trust God. And number four, how we respond to those trials and difficulties will reveal our character. It will reveal who we are before God, whether or not we have faith, whether or not we trust Him whether or not we're really willing to let Him be in control of our life, whether we're not 
we're really let it, we're willing to let him sit on the throne. And when that doesn't happen, what happens? Satan gets a victory. But it still reveals our true character. I think sometimes we need to say, as the psalmist said in Psalm 51.10, create a clean heart in me, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And get our minds and hearts back in tune with where they need to be. I want us in closing to turn our Bibles to Psalm 106. Psalm 106. I want to read just the first 12 verses there. It says, Hallelujah! Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Who can declare the Lord's mighty acts or proclaim all the praises due Him? How happy are those who would hold justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Verse 4. Remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. Come to me with your salvation so that I may enjoy the prosperity of your chosen ones. Rejoice in the joy of your nation and boast about your heritage. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have done wrong and have acted wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not grasp the significance of your wonderful works or remember your many acts of faithful love. Instead, they rebelled. Get a hold of that verse just for a moment. Just think about that just for a moment. Both we and our fathers have sinned. We have done wrong and have acted wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not grasp the significance of your wonderful works or remember your many acts of faithful love. Instead, they rebelled. I wonder how often that's true of us. We forget what God has done. If you're a saved, born-again child of God, you need to remember that. That God took your soul and delivered it out of the eternal hell and damnation into eternity in heaven with Him. That's huge. So instead, they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Yet, verse 8, He saved them because of His name, to make His power known. He rebuked the Red Sea and dried it up. He led them through the depths as though, through, a, as though uh, through a desert. He saved them from the hand of the adversary. He redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. Water covered their foes. Not one of them remained. Then they believed in promises and sang His praise. And we could go on the rest of the chapter, but think about this just for a moment. It took the adversity. It took the trial. It took the difficulty. And them realizing what was going on before they were able to turn it into an opportunity to praise God. So here's what we've got to remember. In every situation that we face, the opportunity is going to come to praise God through it. If we have the right attitude. We can get mad and we get upset and we learn nothing. All that does is break fellowship between us and God. But when we look at it and are reminded of what God's trying to do through it, then it's an opportunity to give God praise for what He's done. Every problem has an opportunity to become a project for which to praise God later. Bringing the problem to an opportunity to praise by viewing it as a project where God is at work. So, here's the opportunity that we have today. 
I don't know what you're facing. I have no idea. I have no robotic flies in your house with recorders. No mice in the, in the corners of your rooms viewing everything and videotaping. It might be fun, though. No. I don't know what you're going through. But rest assured, God does. Positively and negatively. All the things that are going right and all the things that are going wrong, God knows them all. And we can view it as, as opportunities to get ticked and upset and frustrated. Look at it as we're facing the Red Sea and nowhere to go and an army coming behind us. Or we can do as Moses said. Stand firm. Don't be afraid. See the Lord's salvation. He's at work. It all comes down to our attitude and our focus and our trust and faith in God. You can submit or you can reject. It's our choice. But God's going to have the same words in the end. They will know that I am God. Either through rejection or acceptance, they're going to know that I am God. So how will you respond to what's going through in your life? If things are going good, praise God. It took the trials to bring them to a place of praise. If things aren't going so good, praise God. He's at work. He knows what you're going through. It's an opportunity to look to Him to exercise your faith. But rest assured, adversity reveals character. What kind of character do you